totally at the World Cup. No one's got to include what it is. It's like this mad riddle that no one knows what it is, right? Day 19, and for the second time this week, man called Dyer shocked country by twatting it as England's young guns beat Colombia in a shootout. We look back on the misses, the misbehaving and the miracle in Moscow and Tuesday's other clash in which Switzerland struggled with the Swedes and both sides struggled with the finish. And with the quarter-final picture now complete, we can't help but take a sneaky peek forward to the weekend. Uruguay, France, Brazil, Belgium, Sweden, England, Russia, Croatia. It's totally the World Cup. Right, listener, the quarter-finals next, and England are in it. And in today's Totally Football show, we have for you Michael Cox. Hi, James. Matt Davis. Hi, James. And Ian McIntosh. Hi. All of whom come to you fresh from the raw adrenaline-pumping drama that is a penalty shootout, the first one since 1996 that England have won in a tournament. Is that right? Fresh, yeah. yeah, it is right, but fresh probably you isn't can't the word. Speak. I know. <laughs> I've got myself in all of a palaver. Wow, you take take that, a moment here. Yeah, it's that, okay. that, that was emotional. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm not sure I'm much better, but it's just sort of the, the longer after the shootout, the more sort of emotion is coming out because we were convinced that that England weren't going to win. But um, yeah, God bless that strong wrist of of Jordan Pickford, oh. which was pretty sensational. And in what was the best penalty shootout we've seen at the World Cup in terms of there were actually some really good penalties and mm. really good saves I mean, yeah. as well. Let's be clear. Let's be, that's the best penalty shootout an England team has ever been involved in. Because ever? we Ever. Because uh, I know we, we won the one against Spain in, in 96, but with all of the history behind it, with all of the trauma of the last 20 years, and then to go through that point where you missed the first one and mm. everyone goes, oh, Christ, it's happening again. But to turn it around and do that, and do that with a team managed by Gareth Southgate, of Well, all this people. is the thing, and I, I'm, I'm delighted for uh, one of football's nicest people, Gareth Southgate, a, a penalty shootout win that he, he's been waiting over two decades for. Yeah, really nice story for him. And I thought England's no, penalties... No pizza advert for Jordan Henderson, though, which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, England's penalties are actually all really good, including Henderson's. I mean, that was an outstanding save by Ospina. Um, so, yeah, England did well. I mean, they were a little bit lucky to get to the penalty shootout. I think um, I think conceding that late goal in normal time really knocked them psychologically. And I think for the first period of extra time, Colombia were really on the front foot. But once they got to the penalties, you know, fair play, they came through. And uh, like you say, it's been a long time coming. It shows the benefit of actually practising penalties and taking that seriously as so many England managers over the years and of other teams. Oh, it's a lottery and, you know, clearly it isn't. You know, the more you practise the skill, the better you'll get at it. And that's something we've heard that they've been doing repeatedly after training sessions. And it sounds such a basic thing to practise a skill that you might need to use in a match. But uh, it's worked for England today. Absolutely. 
Well, next up for England, it will be a quarterfinal with Sweden. We'll talk about all that later on. We'll go into more depth about what this performance says about England, their prospects, all that kind of thing. First of all, though, let's speak to a man who was there at the Spartak Arena on Tuesday evening. Raphael Honigstein, fresh from the final whistle and an extremely atmospheric game. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. James, it was the strangest England game because usually England have the majority of fans. Wherever they go, wherever I've seen England play, it feels like a home game and the opposition are really up against it. And this was the other way around. Hardly any England fans, maybe 5,000, if, if that. And there was just like a tiny pocket behind the goal um, that didn't have the shootout. So even that was a bit of an advantage, I think, for Colombia. But they came through it. They came through it. And I think they will get so much confidence and just positivity from coming through in these these circumstances. Yes, it, it wasn't wholly convincing. At the same time, you've seen even the better and bigger side struggling to to win these games and winning is all that matters at this point I just think it just really rewards so many of the changes and different ideas that Gareth Southgate has brought in and I was speaking to some colleagues of mine and they're all saying you know this is the real test if you go out against Colombia everyone will write this off and say oh you know this is just a media story all has changed where's the result now that they've delivered and at least got to the last eight I think already you can see that the single team have done something which is just to change the kind of way that people feel about them and maybe the way they feel about themselves as well as a team. And a, I wouldn't say a dream, but a, a very appetising quarterfinal coming up against Sweden, a Sweden team that even Germany beat, Rafa. <laughs> yeah, exactly, James, exactly. I mean, Sweden are, are open to play against. I don't think it's going to be very enjoyable. I think it's going to be just as attritional and, uh, and very tight uh, once again. But England have a very good chance. Very good chance. Newly adopted England fan, Raphael Honigstein there, and you can get more of his thoughts at ESPN FC. All right, well, there's so much to take out of that game. Lots of it, I think, the rest of the world didn't enjoy very much, but it was thrilling, I think, for anyone who had any emotional investment in it. Yeah, it was eventful. I mean, there wasn't a lot of football played for a lot of it. I think both sides didn't cover themselves in glory. Maybe I'm biased, but I thought Colombia were uh, took a, quite a negative approach in the first half, and, and maybe that affected them psychologically. There's a cause and effect thing here, but they spent the first half, you know, really whining about everything, fouling a little bit too much. And then once they seemed to get over that, you know, after about 60, 70 minutes, they played good football. And in the first, pass, uh, first part of extra time, they played good football as well. Mm. That said, I think England were a little bit lucky with a couple of occasions where uh, players went to ground with little contact. I think John Stones was also very lucky when he dragged his foot over Falcao's head at one stage, which didn't go to VAR. Um, Yeah, it was just scrappy nutritional. And, you know, the second uh, tournament in a row that Colombia have gone out um, after a game like that because, you know, Brazil four years ago was, I think, even more unpleasant more the Brazilians that time it must be said but yeah I mean I can't imagine the neutrals enjoyed it much it was a very scrappy and physical game proper naughty it was it reminded me a little bit of a kind of Copa Libertadores game which I watch literally once a year and think god blimey this is boring can we have some more action and less fouling but uh, yeah that's the way the South American teams do like to play sometimes okay as you say when they did start to 
move the ball around. I guess because England tired. Was that, was that what happened? Because England started the game at such pace. Exactly what they did so well uh, against Tunisia, but it's it's just making that last, isn't it? And on the discipline thing, I'm very surprised that um, Barry Els didn't get sent off for, for headbutting Jordan Henderson. Um, but even more surprised they got a yellow card for it because it's it's either no offence or a red card, surely that, isn't it? It seemed to, not for the first time in this World Cup, bit of a cop-out from the referee on that one. But yeah, you know, England, I thought, actually played really well for most of the game up until the first period of extra time when they were obviously working so hard to, but the to get that. But the second half, did they not start to get a little bit shaken way before the, the Colombian equaliser? Maybe for the last 15, 20 minutes, but mm. at that point they'd been pretty much in control of the game for three quarters of it. So I think they, on the balance of play, they, they were the deserved winners. Right. Personally, I don't think they're tired at all. I don't think tiredness came into it. Okay. I think uh, Colombia changed things. Peckham and changed things. He went to a 3-5-2. He brought another striker on. England's response to that um, was to bring on a bit of defensive reinforcement in the shape of uh, Eric Dyer, which meant Henderson moved forward a little bit in midfield. And I must say, I thought Dyer had a really poor game in front of the defence. I think England's big wobble at the end of uh, normal time and the start of extra time came in the period where he was playing in front of the defence. And right. England, did, again, kind of stabilised the game once he moved back into defence and Henderson came back into midfield. So I think it was more about the substitutions than tiredness. That wobble featured, of course, Yeri Mina's third and last goal of this tournament, which produced this reaction in Bogota. Crikey. England's defending, that was a big question mark for us coming into this game. How could they measure up? How would they measure up to Colombia? Uh, what did you make of it? They didn't concede many chances, but when they did, Ian? Well, Steve Holland will be furious that they've given away... Uh, goal from a set piece in injury time but for the most part I thought they were really good I thought there was discipline there there was composure there there were moments when balls were coming in and instead of just blatting it back out over the halfway line there were little headers into midfielders who dropped deep to pick up possession it was a really encouraging performance in so many ways and yet in so many ways there, there were so many 50-50 decisions that could have gone against you. I think as much as we talk about um, the red card that Colombia should have got in the first half, possibly John Stones could have got one himself in the second half. When you look back to 1998 and that little kick from David Beckham, those moments change games. And tonight we had a night where those moments didn't go against us. So it's been fantastic for so many reasons, particularly the penalty shootout. Did but, Danny Cowley... Oof. Did Danny Cowley win us, win us this game? Yeah, this was what I was shouting with the uh, the conga line set piece. This is a Lincoln City thing. So this was what, okay. This was England's whether the incident which led to the penalty, which put England in the lead. Yeah, the Cowley brothers have this uh, corner routine that they use from time to time, which is a conga line of gigantosaurs uh, led by Matt Reed, a massive hod carrying bruiser at the front, and then they pile the uh, the set piece into the box, and everyone just breaks. Like, like you've hit a cue ball perfectly on a pool table and then everyone goes in different directions and the defence can't cope. And, and that's, yeah, it's, so it, it might be the first time that England have ever taken their lead from Lincoln. All right. I knew Columbia certainly couldn't deal with it at all. Glenn Hoddle was describing it as the, the love train in commentary. <laughs> Can we have a word for Harry Kane? I Please. Know, I know he's, um, there's been a lot of penalties and elements of fortune, but he scored in six consecutive games for England, and that's the first time anyone's done that since Tommy Lawton in 1939. Good God. So you talk about somebody stepping up to the plate, I mean, he's been and, and and even not just his goals, just the, the way he sort of carries himself about the pitch is so impressive, I think. He's, he's sort of 
see people, you know, having having a bit of a laugh at him for that goal at Stoke and the fact that he's on what he's on six goals now and most of them have been penalties, but he is without any question of a doubt England's key 1939 though that's a really annoying time to be on a run <laughs> yeah well we'll see if he can score in seven games in a row when England take on Sweden on Saturday afternoon in Samara where it's going to be really hot apparently Ooh. we'll talk about England's next opponent after this Listeners, we're down to the business end of the World Cup and while we give you the game-by-game analysis for a broader cultural and sociological view of the key narratives from Russia and elsewhere, check out the current series of the Game of Our Lives podcast. Join host David Goldblatt as he explores issues such as the tensions between Russia and FIFA, how presidential and governmental politics across the world are intertwined with the greatest sporting tournament on earth and with the likes of Germany, Spain and Argentina having exited the tournament early and Italy and Holland never having qualified in the first place, how this has truly been the World Cup of the underdog. Search for The Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. So Sweden up next for England. Tuesday in St Petersburg, they defeated Switzerland 1-0. The Swiss, who, by the way, were the top-rated side left in this half of the draw. And the Swedes go through to the last eight for the first time since 1994. What kind of opposition are they going to offer? To England, where we dialed up Afton Bladitz, World Cup podcast host Patrick Sig. We're very hard to beat. We don't necessarily win, but we don't lose, and that's the that's the key here. Um, and we do occasionally win when you know you get a deflected shot, you get a, a soft penalty, you get this uh, once <laughs> once in uh, every ten year run from Ola Toivonen or you know whatever. Uh, and we win a game here and there, but we very, very seldom lose. We've kept clean sheets for uh, almost the entire year. All the, you know, the games building up to the World Cup has been mostly nil-nil draws, but uh, we don't concede goals. And that's the, that's the key thing here. It's not always fun to watch, but it's effective. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's been the plan for, for Jan Andersson all along to build this team around the defense but you know in the group stage it's one thing you can rely on other people's results you need to win to uh, go through I mean you can't rely on penalties so Sweden will have to find some solutions going forward we actually created quite a few chances today and we have been uh, throughout the, the tournament but the finishing hasn't really been there for especially Marcus Bay. he needs to start scoring goals if we're if we're going to have a, a, a shot at this Yes. Patrick Sick there of Afton Bladet's World Cup podcast. In the time of the phrase, more misses than Henry VIII in, in that game. <laughs> My God, it wasn't, in many ways, as, as Patrick was saying, they, they did create chances, just the finishing was astonishing. Yeah, to be honest, it was uh, an entertaining game, but very poor quality. I don't mean to be too patronising ahead of our, our meeting with Sweden, but it was like watching... Um, a top-of-the-table clash from a lower division, if that's not unfair. Yeah, it was entertaining and it was exciting, but some of the quality was dreadful. I thought Berg's miss in the first half was bizarre. It wasn't a great chance, but I don't know how he got the ball quite so wide. And then Ekdal had what should have been a header and tried to do a kind of Gustavo Poirier double-scissor kick. I don't know what you call it, but it was miles off target. Um, but Sweden are very well organised. And as he said, they don't concede. And if you don't concede, you tend to go very well at World Cups. Mm. The goal coming after Emil Forsberg's uh, shot 
deflected off Manuel Akanji. Yeah, shame because he had a really good game. In fact, a good tournament. And uh, it's slightly unfortunate that he was the, the full guy, especially because the shot was going straight to the goalkeeper as well. So it All really right. was a decisive touch. First time in 60 years that Sweden have won two World Cup games in a row, Matt. Watching that, were you thinking, ooh, if England can get past Colombia, we can have a field day with this? Or were you thinking they could be difficult? I'd actually think England would probably have had a better chance against Switzerland just because they're a bit more open. But Sweden is so well organised defensively that it's going to be a, a frustrating uh, Saturday afternoon for large parts, I think, for England. I think the pattern of the game might be quite similar to the start of the game tonight in the game against Tunisia, where England uh, are all pace and, you know, uh, coming forward at will. But if Sweden can keep it to nil-nil, then they will, they will certainly fancy their chances of taking England to extra time. But as we've been hearing, the, the problem for Sweden is, and Berg was really the epitome of this in, in this game, and, and as Michael said, Ekdal too, you just... In the way that we've we've heaped praise on Harry Kane and even other players for England who maybe haven't scored yet at this tournament, but you think have got the potential to, I just can't see that from Sweden. So I, no, I wouldn't underestimate them. I wouldn't be surprised if we if we were talking about another penalty shootout. But yeah, no I problem. would be confident in the England defence again up against Berg and Ekdal. You would, all. yeah. Okay, Sweden's possession against the Swiss was thirty three percent, but it doesn't seem to matter through they go Ian you confident no not at all oh. <laughs> I've been watching England for years why would I be confident it's hard to be negative after everything we've seen but we always go back to England's complacency England's mentality the, the time on the problems that have plagued this football team for years and years and years but I'm finding it really hard to, to see those problems right now uh, at this moment when so much has been proved they they held themselves together really well against Colombia. They got themselves through the penalty shootout really well. Um, Sweden are a good team. The biggest risk for England is to look at Sweden and think, hey, nice easy one for us. Uh-huh. But I'm looking at Southgate and I'm looking at that team now and I'm thinking, actually, they might be really professional about right, this. They might be really good. Sweden can hurt us. They've got the ability. They're no pushovers. But looking at the England performance and that long period of which Colombia were the dominant side... What, what what are the lessons from that, Michael? Well, I think it's important we do learn lessons from that. And I think the lesson from that is that our possession play was really poor. And we really lack someone. It's, it's not the first time we've said this about England. But we lack someone during that period who could just get the ball and just keep hold of it and keep possession ticking over. I thought we were very confused, particularly in the first part of extra time. I think it was a logical decision to bring on Vardy uh, when we were 1-0 up and he could chase balls. And he did well in the second half of the extra time period. But... He didn't really seem to be offering much when it was one all. We couldn't decide really what we were doing, whether we were still going long encountering or keeping the ball. And I think you look at the squad, there's no one really that Southgate could have brought on just to, you know, keep things tidy. I'm thinking, I'm not saying he should have been in the squad, but the player that Harry Winks looked to be at the start of last season, just really neat and tidy on the ball. England still kind of lack that disciplined central midfield player. All right. We've got penalty takers, though. Look out, World Cup. Only seven games left. Eight, if you count the third, fourth playoff. But it's the quarters next. We'll have a quick thought on those after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Quarterfinals, everybody. Friday. These begin 3 o'clock in Nizhny Novgorod, Uruguay taking on France, the winner of which will take on the uh, side that emerges victorious from the evening game on Friday between Brazil and Belgium. Matt, call this. Brazil, Belgium, France, Uruguay. 
Oh, France and Brazil. Um, I yeah. think we had that obviously fantastic game last night between um, Belgium and Japan, and and it was it was galling um, for Japan to lose in such a way. But it does give us this brilliant, really, really tasty looking quarterfinal between Brazil and Belgium. But I just I wonder if the sort of pragmatism of Brazil, as strange as that sounds, is, is what's going to work for them um, because Belgium still look a little erratic at times. Well, if, if any team know about galling, it, it's France, of course. <laughs> Although Brazil have been slow starters in their matches and if Brazil, if, if Belgium rather, with all their pace, can can take advantage of that early, I wonder if it could just throw the Celis out of their stride. Could do, and they've always got Roberto Martinez, uh, the tactical genius to change games with inspired Institution, so absolutely, absolutely. The France Uruguay game, I mean, Uruguay, they've conceded one goal in 2018. They are, even with Mbappe running at them, they are very, very solid at the back. There are question marks, I believe, over Cavani's fitness for this game. Yeah, he was withdrawn early from the from the last match, but there's so much quality in there, and there's also so much familiarity. They've been playing together for ages. Mm. You know, the core of this team has been there for for a long time, and. I've got a funny feeling about them, you know. That I know France were great against Argentina, but not so much in the in the group stages. And you can just see a team that's played together for years just coming together and gelling. I think Uruguay will get through that. Right, Uruguay, much tougher test than than Argentina. Who who, who would you tip in these two quarters? I like Uruguay. Their defensive record is excellent, um, and they'll defend deep as well. And I think that's the key. You know, when you look at what Mbappe did when he was allowed space on the break, and I think Giroud, who's been a big plus for France since he came in, I think Godin can handle him pretty well. I think he's the type of player they like playing against. And Brazil, I think, are a better side than Belgium because they because they keep clean sheets. Okay. Um, and and Belgium don't. Basically, they still look nervous at the back. And I think in the knockout stages, once again, it's about keeping clean sheets. So I'd go for Uruguay and Brazil. All right. Very interesting. The other set of quarterfinals take place on Saturday. The afternoon game, as we mentioned, is Sweden-England. Is everyone brave enough to say England going through from that? No, Matt? No, no, no. no. Should we just avoid that topic yes. entirely? Yeah. yeah, OK. Whoever goes through from that game in Samara will play the winner of the evening game between Russia and Croatia. Any other game anywhere else in the world, this would be Croatia, surely. But not this... 90 minutes or longer. I mean, I fancy Croatia. I think they're a much uh, better team than I Russia. You fancied Spain, didn't you, before the Russia played? I did fancy Spain. I think Spain were the better team than Russia throughout that well, 120-minute period. They, they didn't live up to their potential, certainly, but they were the better team. And I think Croatia will outplay Russia here. Um, they've just got more midfield control. I think they've got more of a plan in the final third. They've got attacking options in Perisic's pace and Mandzukic's height. Um, I, I think they're... I think they'll beat Russia. Yeah, Ian? I think there's a there's going to be a lovely symmetry here. There's going to be Uruguay against Brazil in one semi-final, Ooh. and then Croatia against Sweden in the other. Europe against South America. Very nice. Everything I say, the opposite happens. So Did, you stick just say, with me. Did you just say Sweden? Yeah, everything I say, the opposite happens. So stick with me. <laughs> there's a plan here. I mean, it's an incredible opportunity for England to court a final against Sweden with the greatest respect. When you look at the teams we've come up against in quarterfinals in previous years, you know... Good Portugal side, for example, uh, you know, twice with the Euros and the World Cup. I mean, Sweden are a good side, but they got through the playoffs to to get here. I mean, this is an incredible draw for England and even Croatia or Russia in the semi-finals. If we get to that stage, it's remarkable. England won't get a better opportunity than this for a very long time. Pretty Spence just clipping that up at the moment, you know, that <laughs> quote, Matt. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with Michael. I mean, England could get to the next. 10 World Cups and the draw won't fall in their favour like it does here, which is going to make it all the more painful when we lose on penalties for Sweden. But, I um, see what you're doing there. Yeah, I, I mean, nice. 
to go back to the Russia-Croatia game, I think that yeah. one's really interesting because I sort of wondered about the mental strength of Croatia and then they missed a penalty and then won a penalty shootout. So they answered that question pretty much. Um, it was curious how subdued they were in that game, though, with Denmark. Yeah, yeah it was. And, and, and you wonder if um, with a, a fervent partisan crowd behind them that that might cow them a little bit more. But you just think that they're superior I mean, it, it, one to eleven. There's not a player from the Russian team that you'd put in the Croatia team. I mean, on the Sweden thing, if if you want us to play along and say, "Oh, we're definitely going to lose," um, I mean, there's a lot of similarities <laughs> between the Iceland side that knocked us out two years ago right. and the Sweden team here. Kind of a classic old school four four two, a long throw, long balls. They don't want any possession, but they're very good defensively. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a familiar challenge, shall we say? Sweden might resemble that Iceland, but this England doesn't resemble. That England. Am I right? (laughs) I know England. I knew England. This is no England. Yeah. Well, we'll be back, of course, on Friday with the verdicts on those games and so much more. Before we wrap up today, let's get the odds on the quarters and also the race for the golden boot and other things too. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thanks, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is here. Lee, you're on the Paddy Power boat. I am, and I'm slightly seasick already. Pathetic, I know. Let's uh, let's talk about the football rather than your sea legs. The last 16's finished. Wow. I think it's clarified things slightly. Belgium are the big benefactors of the last round of fixtures, not just their lucky escape against Japan. They're now into third favourites at 11-2. They trail France at 7-2 and Brazil at 11-4. The top two really expect to go to the final. They're both odds-on to reach the final, which doesn't quite work. What about that race for the golden boot? You were tipping Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, I'm a glory hunter, aren't I? I don't know if the Jules Ramey is coming home, but one golden trophy certainly is coming home, according to the odds. Harry Kane is odds-on to win the golden boot. That's 4-5. to five. Uh, Closest competitor is Romelu Lukaku, despite not scoring against Japan. He's 6-1. to one. And then my really emboldened tip, Kylian Mbappe, is 8-1. to one. The rest, any price you want, really. Very quickly then, Lee, let's talk about the first two quarterfinals, which take place on Friday. It kicks off with France versus Uruguay. Are Uruguay going to do this? Uh, They're my tip for the cup. It would be yet another example of football coming home if they do knock France out with the underdog prevailing again. But we don't think so. Uruguay 10 to 3, so still a decent price, but France are 10 to 11, so odds on. Extra time is 21 to 10 here. France should progress, but Uruguay certainly no pushovers. And Brazil versus Belgium is the evening game. Uh, Karl Anker was telling us the other day that uh, on FIFA 18 and the simulations, <laughs> Belgium always win this one. Can they do it in real life? Yeah, I heard Carl say that. They always win this one unless I'm playing as Belgium, in which case they get absolutely spanked. Uh, we think Brazil will go through here. Uh, they're even money. Belgium 13-5. Extra time is 12-5. to 5. May as well be the final way. You can find out those odds and more at paddypad.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Matt Davis, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, James. This momentous day that it was. Michael Cox. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And also Ian McIntosh. Thank you. Splendid. Listener, your participation was essential. Otherwise, we would have been like a tree falling in a forest. Anyway, we're back on Friday night to look back on France, Uruguay and Belgium, Brazil. In the meantime, you can find us at The Sodley Show on Twitter. Oh, you can read about us in the New York Times magazine. That's exciting. And uh, also we're on Facebook. Excellent. We'll see you after two more sleeps for more Totally Football Show. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. 
but then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.